Anyway, let's, let's get started in, in the book of, book of Psalms, Psalm 49. Um, you know, the, the Psalms is the songbook of the Israelites. You realize that, everybody, all of us know that. And um, like songbooks, there's, at the top, there's, there's an author and maybe some instructions on, uh, and um, usually a copyright or something like that, or when it was produced. Um, in, this, in, in this book, the book of the Psalm 49, um, the, the heading says, for the choir director, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Now that sounds interesting. Maybe you remember about someone in the Bible named Korah. Have you ever heard of that before? Well, Psalm 49 is among 11 of the 150 psalms that were, uh, 11 that were created by the sons of Korah. That's, uh, there's uh, Psalm 42, Psalm 44, 49, 84, 85, 87, and 88. And they have an interesting um, heritage. Um, you might say it was quite notorious. In fact, it was so notorious that the name of Korah was honored by Jude, uh, along with two others, as being probably the worst examples of uh, what not to do, what not to be. Um, there he, he, uh, Korah was named um, along with Cain, Balaam, and then there was Korah, the most egregious sins against God. And uh, Cain was uh, guilty of rejection of God's provision. And Balaam was the prophet for hire. In, in fact, his was the most insidious, I think. He wasn't right out front. He was a sneaky like a snake. Because when he was hired by another king, I believe it was Abimelech, uh, was hired him to curse Israel. And he tried several times and he couldn't curse him. All that came out of his mouth were praises and blessing. He still wanted the money and he knew he wasn't gonna get paid unless uh, he could do something. So he, he worked out, he, he suggested an insidious way to work, have the, the, the daughters and, uh, and others of the enemy come into the, the camp and pollute the camp by seducing the young men. And uh, he, got his, he got his profit because he uh, was just so deceptive. And that is probably the worst of anything. That's the way the, the, way the Lucifer is, the, the devil. He, he is uh, the accuser of the brethren, but he's also a sneaky snake, just slithering in and and destroying behind the scenes. Um, and then, of course, there was Korah. We're going to learn a little bit about Korah because it's interesting that there would be these psalms from the, the, uh, the descendants of this uh, person who had such a notorious uh, life. Well, um, 
The Psalm 49 was written in about 1000 BC. And uh, David reigned about that time, thousand years before Jesus became, came to earth and became our savior um, by dying on the cross. And um, the, the story goes back of, of, of uh, Korah. Uh, he, he was a descendant of Levi. And uh, he, after uh, 430 years in Egypt, the descendants were led by God uh, through Moses in the Exodus. And um, uh, there were, uh, uh, there were uh, in, that's found in Numbers 3. All the tribes but Levi were apportioned blocks of land, but Levi was left out. They were not given anything. They were, they were given the honor of attending to the church, attending to the tabernacle, and, the, and uh, setting it up, taking it down, protecting it. They camped around the tabernacle. No one was allowed to come near because they would be killed if they actually got any, came near. And um, Moses and Aaron were Levites. Um, well, Aaron was the high priest and he had four sons. Um, their names were Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithmar. Um, not a real successful family, in a way. Um, of course, we know that uh, Aaron was a high priest, and he was guilty of uh, making an idol, uh, and just sort of threw the stuff in the fire, and out came this cow, you know. Nothing happening here. And in Leviticus 10, Nadab and Abihu, who were priests under uh, their father Aaron, were killed by God for disregarding his orders to do everything precisely as was instructed. And um, God's told Moses, do everything exactly like I tell you. Don't depart one little bit. Everything was to be done perfectly. Now, there's a reason for that. You realize that what we see here in this earthly plane is just a shadow of what's going on in the heavenlies. And the, the shadow of the, uh, the tabernacle and the, and the rituals and all the things, they spoke of things in heaven. And God was not pleased. In fact, it, 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 he, he took it very badly that when things were not done exactly as he instructed. Well, he sent fire to consume. Uh, he, he's, whenever there was the altar was, or sacrifice was put on the altar, he would set fire to it fire would come out of heaven and consume the sacrifice. And only fire from the altar could be used to light the incense in their little censers. They would put um, um, incense in the censers and they would light it with coals from the altar. No other way. They, they um, dishonored God because they took, all, they took fire from some other source. And God immediately, fire came out of heaven and they were struck dead. And uh, so, two down and two to go in the family. Well, Gershon and Marache were families that were in charge of the tabernacle. And uh, they were in charge of taking care of the tents, the curtains, the frames, the posts, and all the equipment. Um, 
the, the physical tabernacle. They could carry them on carts. In fact, they were instructed exactly how to do it. Um, done in a precise way. Well, the Kohath family were required to carry the consecrated things. They were the other, they were the, the, the other family of the three uh, uh, sons of Eleazar. And they were required to carry the consecrated objects on poles on their shoulders. And um, Korah was the grandson of Kohath. And he, at some point, talks about it in number 16, he got tired and, and got tired of uh, being the burden bearer and carrying everything on their backs and felt like they were maybe put upon by God. Everybody else had to use carts and they had to walk. And uh, he, was, he, he got involved with um, a couple of guys who uh, talks about in the Bible. Um, they were uh, Dathan and Abraham. And they were the household of the household of the Reubenites. And they were troublemakers from the very beginning. It, as you read through the book of Numbers, you see that they were constantly grumbling and leading in rebellion against uh, Moses. And they had raised up 250 men to, uh, with, with uh, censors to light a fire and uh, they uh, 250 people who were against Moses, and they were, they were told to, um, um, they decided to go against Moses, and they were led by Korah. Well, you've heard what happened. They were told to go stand by the tents, and um, the ground opened up. Moses said, look, if you guys die, if you live, um, a natural, if you die a natural death, then that means God did not send me. And then immediately the ground opened up, their tents, their households, everything, all their belongings, they and their whole families fell into the crevasse and then snapped shut. And then um, there were people who started grumbling and God sent a plague through the camp. Four, 14,700 people died on account of Korah. So what a reputation he has to carry on. Um, now, some of the children, were, they survived. You can see that in Numbers 26, 11. And so now we fast forward 400 years. And here's an example of God's grace, no matter how egregious the past. God, um, under David, the descendants of of Korah served as the gatekeepers for David, and they also served in the orchestra. There was an orchestra of 288 people. They uh, served the tabernacle in rounds, 24 uh, different groups, and they had uh, bands and orchestra, and they also wrote music. Well, we have some that were written by the, the sons of Korah right here in the, in, in, uh, in the book of Psalms. Okay. Now let's a little background. Let's let's get into the book itself and or the and um, the Psalm forty nine and examine it, take it apart, and get some some meat out of it. Okay, it's twenty verses, and um, 
unlike other songs, other psalms that are generally of uh, praise and prayer to God, uh, this psalm is very different. It's a psalm of instruction. In fact, it's written in a very catchy way, and um, we're going to read it right now. It's almost written like a ballad, and um, so hear this, all people. Do you have your Bibles open to Psalm 49? Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth will speak wisdom, and the meditation of my heart will be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will express my riddle on the harp. This is the introduction. Now, can you imagine if uh, Andy were here, you'd probably get a little guitar riff. You know, because this is the introduction by the, the, uh, the song leader to what he wants to, to express. And here, here is the, what he's going to say. Why should I fear in days of adversity when the iniquity of my foes surround me, even those who trust in their wealth and boast in the abundance of their riches? That's the question. That is the question. Why should I fear that the wealthy are tormenting me? And then he has an answer. No man can by any means redeem his brother or give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of his soul is costly, and he should cease trying forever that he should live on eternally, that he should not undergo decay. For he sees that even wise men die, the stupid and the senseless alike perish and leave their wealth to others. Their inner thought is that their houses are forever and their dwelling places are to all generations. They've called all their lands after their own names, but a man in his pomp will not endure. He's like the beasts that perish. This is the way of those who are foolish. All of those after them who approve their words. Selah says, ponder this. Think about it. We'll have a little pause and think about it. As sheep, they are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd. And the upright shall rule over them in the morning. And their form shall be for Sheol to consume so that they have no habitation but, but God will redeem my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. Do not be afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house is increased, for when he dies, he will carry away nothing. His glory will not descend after him. Though while he lives, he congratulates himself, and though men praise you when you do well for yourself, he shall go to the generation of his fathers. They shall never see the light. The man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. Pretty simple. It almost looks like it should belong in the book of Proverbs. But it was put to music, and there's, there's a good reason for it. Good reason. Um, you know, 
what he's saying here is that um, you have to ask his motive. What, what was the motive for somebody sitting down and saying, I think I'm going to write this song? Or maybe he wakes up in the morning and says, Boy, I've been thinking about this all night. I'm going to have to write this song and get it out there. And um, we have to ask what his motives. Well, some have said that it was written in view of some evil or wrong which the author was suffering from, um, maybe some rich oppressor. And um, he felt that he should think through this, this situation and come up with the answer and, uh, and, and deal with it, provide a, instruction for others who also face oppression. The, and here is the answer. Wealth and no, is, is no security, no permanence to projects, when the, when, uh, and no power, uh, lasting power, when abused uh, for oppression and wrong. It's, you, you're not protected by your wealth. The day you die, it's gone. Um, now, this was written, as you can see, in a catchy way, uh, like a ballad. Uh, now, there's a reason for music. Lyrics are put to rhyme and, and rhythm and music and beat to aid in memorization. This was meant to be memorized. And, you know, we sing these songs that... Uh, many hymns that we grew up with and we've memorized, we know them by heart because in some way our heart and our emotions respond to music. Um, it's so hard to memorize things sometimes, but if you put it to music, you can pick it up pretty quickly. And um, it, uh, it implants um, life-saving principles to our mind. And the advertising world knows that. Theater uh, uh, movie makers mo know that. Uh, people who are in advertising know that. They know that if they have a catchy jingle, catchy phrases like got milk or, uh, or jingles, I could come up with many, I'd probably come up with some jingles, but all of them that I think about were the cigarette ads that were on TV, <laughs> the catchy jingles. Anyway, uh, but they stick in your head. They're like word pictures. And... Movie scores are very good at, have you ever watched a movie without, with the sound off? They're, even with the, the, without music, they're pretty dead. But when the music is there and it's pulling you along, it, it lifts you up and puts you down and, and you remember it. But it's because the music, of the music, and um, it's, the music is powerful. Uh, I remember a song, that uh, we learned our ABCs by. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, N, B, W, and X, Y, Z. Now I know my ABCs, da, 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 something on the end. We learned that. I couldn't, couldn't learn my ABCs until I learned the song, and then we were able to learn it in a day, just like that. You know, how many kids... Um, start repeating things that, uh, that they get off of television, uh, little ditties, little songs, and, and uh, sometimes they repeat them over and over again. You wish they'd just quit, <laughs> but they don't. Um, there was a man named Andrew Fletcher from, in 1653 to 1716. He, made a, he gave a famous quote. He said, let me make the songs of a nation 
and I care not who makes the laws. We make even make the songs. Music is powerful. It can rise up a populace to bring down a government. Um, it's been done many times. Okay, Psalm 49 is divided into seven sections that drive home the lesson that he was, that this, uh, this writer was trying to put across, and that is the, the foolishness of, wealth, of, th of trusting in wealth um, and the foolishness of, of fearing um, those who have wealth because uh, their, their time is limited. So we've, we've gone to one through four. It says, um, this person was like a, a troubadour, like a, like a balladeer. Um, and um, he, he points us to several things here in 49. He says, give ear this all peoples, give ear all, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. He doesn't leave anyone out. Everyone's included, whether you're rich or you're poor. Um, this message is for you. He says, my mouth will speak wisdom and the meditation of my heart will be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb and I will express my riddle on the harp. He throws in these key words. He says, uh, attention, uh, meditation, proverb, and riddle. You know, a, a parable is a simple story to illustrate a moral or a spiritual lesson. Many times, parables can get across a point when just stating of giving a statement doesn't cut it. In the Bible, who used parables more than anyone else? Jesus. He used earthly lessons to teach about heavenly things. Remember when... Um, he was, um, he was met one night and, um, and uh, he, he, he said, how can I, um, how can you understand heavenly things if you don't understand earthly things? And um, <clears throat> so prover uh, um, parables, are very powerful in, in teaching us spiritual lessons. And then a riddle. He talks about a riddle. Now, why should these even be in here? But these, he's, he's trying to get people to open up their thoughts. A riddle is a question or a puzzle designed to open our minds to unexpected or clever answers. Many times we're focusing on just one thing. We don't look outside the box to see other answers. And he's, he's saying, I want you to, to think about this. I want you to meditate, ponder, and, uh, and hopefully the, your, your ponder wisdom and the result will be understanding because this is a key element in life. People long to be rich, but it's, it's full of uh, terrible temptation. Here's the theme. The mystery is of why men are blind to the frailty and brevity of life and the terror of eternity. How many people think they're going to live forever? They don't want to think about dying. They don't want to think about uh, the catastrophe that comes uh, to those who go into eternity without God, without Jesus. Um, 
They don't want to think about that. And they, many will mistreat others, not thinking that there's anyone to answer to. Okay. Then he ends with a harp interlude. Okay. Now, verses five through six. Why should I fear in the days of adversity when the iniquity of my foes surround me? Even though those who trust in their wealth and boast in the abundance of their riches. So he's saying, why should I fear these people? Apparently something happened to him because he felt he needed to deal with it. And um, obviously he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Maybe the word is for us. Uh, I don't know many people have been bullied, you know, or in your life or what uh, there, there are situations that people find themselves in where they're tyrannized by um, those who have more influence, more power. And uh, she said, we, we should not fear them. We should not fear them because remember, God's in charge. Um, <clears throat> Evil enemies, he he's, um, says, why should I feel, be filled with fear of my evil enemies who use their great wealth as a weapon and boast of their wealth, boast that their wealth shields them from justice and the consequences of their evil lifestyle? Um, Daniel 12, 4 talks about the, uh, he was terrified by this great beast that he saw, a great iron beast that uh, uh, terrified him. And he, he was wanted to know from God what this was all about. And he was told by, by uh, the angel in Daniel 12, 4, that, this, the, that the, the information wasn't for him, that it was actually belonged to the people who would live at a time when men should run to and fro and knowledge should be increased. Um, that beast was the beast of the end times. I believe we're living in those days. Does anybody doubt that? That, that uh, things that we could be fearing are much greater than what this, say this author of Psalm 49 was afraid of. But we um, have we we live during living during this time. We can say, "I do not fear because God is in control." There's never been a greater opportunity and ability uh, for uh, abuse um, of mankind in this in these days. Um, I just think of the ability for people to travel clear around the world in just no time, and for the internet to influence people. Um, those, these people who, uh, who um, wish to dominate, they equate their riches with power. And yet, um, yet God says that their power means nothing because as soon as they die, it's gone. And um, even though we live in a time when there are um, potentials for opportunities for abuse, like, like the, the potential for news media to influence whole crowds, whole, whole nations, whole worlds um, by uh, 
pushing one agenda and, and leaving out other things and so that the people are deceived because they don't hear the truth. They don't really know what's going on. And, uh, or or let's, let's say the power of the, of the banking system to generate money out of nothing and, uh, and by raising and lowering interest rates, basically generate money and give it to those who would try to dominate everything. Uh, we have social media. I mean, look at the power of the social media and its ability to sway people. Uh, it's amazing. And, of course, corrupt politicians, they've always been around. And um, there are many um, non-elected, self-appointed people who seek to control uh, through mega corporations and fa foundations that are worth millions and billions of dollars today. And they have tremendous power, not just in one little country, but tremendous power over the whole world because of the, of the um, communication that has been um, made possible through technology. So they've been able to, through, through technology to cause mass migration with wars and organized chaos. And um, they, um, let's think of the evil forces that are at work today. We have drug trafficking on a scale that is unimaginable. And not only that, but human trafficking is huge. Drug trafficking is small compared to the human trafficking that is taking place around the world. Um, there's also a growing menace that is made possible by, uh, by a great amount of money, people who have wealth, who think they can control everything. Uh, have you ever heard of a FICO score? FICO score, the, you, know, you, the, you have a FICO score, everybody, a person who wants to lend you money can read your FICO score and know whether you are acceptable as a risk to lend money to. Well, it's, uh, there is something called a social score that is growing. It's, um, it was started in China a couple of years ago, uh, the head of, uh, of um, Google went to China and uh, tried, uh, set, was setting up a Google program for them. They weren't accepting, they didn't want an open um, Google system. They wanted something that they could control, the Chinese. So they set up a social score. And what that is, is there's a score that is applied to every person. They, they track Everywhere you go, they track everyone you communicate with. They track, they track all the sites that you go to, who you know, all your connections, and that, and whether, and they determine whether a person is uh, a, a, a loyal subject of the state, or whether they're Christians, uh, or whether they're um, church leaders, and uh, involved in other things that the church doesn't deem to be. Uh, uh, what they, they want to do. And so, and nobody escapes it. In fact, uh, we've received letters from missionaries now, two different missionaries who deal in China, and they said, please be very careful in your communication. Don't, uh, there were pastors that were, were told, asked not to come, asked to uh, not have these people come because 
though that would affect those people's social score. If they get a low enough social score, they can, they, they can be limited as where they can travel because when they go up to buy a ticket, they, their, their social score is checked. And, oh, I'm sorry, you can't go there. Um, it, it gets so bad that, that uh, grocery stores won't sell to you because if they, you come in and they sell to you, that means you're associating with them and their social score will be lowered. It's a huge pressure to, um, uh, to conform. Does that sound like anything that you've read in the book of Revelation? What is it? It's the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast is here. Now, I thought, well, that's just China. There's so much more. Just look it up on, on Google, <laughs> and you can learn all about it. But for the first time, I saw an ad, and it mentioned a social score. It was for an insurance company. So it's coming here. It's coming here. Um, so God, uh, God has a has a message for the, um, for the people who live in the last days. He's going to judge this kind of thing. He, if you thought that abuse was rampant then and that God was going to judge that, uh, this, is the, this is the way he, um, um, this is what he has to say about, uh, about the situation in the world at the end times when he destroys Babylon, and here he describes it in Babylon, in 18.7, um, 18.3. he says, well, we'll go to two. He cried out with a mighty voice saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, and she has become a dwelling place of demons and the prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her. The merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. And then he goes on over to, um, to 11 through 13. And I'm just going to, it, he just describes, he says, you're, in one hour your judgment has come. And he says, and the merchants of the earth weep and mourn over her because she, no one buys their cargoes anymore. And he names a long list of all kinds of luxurious items. But he ends in, at the end of 13, he ends his list of merchandise with um, cattle and sheep and cargoes of horses and chariots and slaves and human lives. There's more money made selling and buying and selling humans and their parts than, any, than drugs ever could. Uh, it's, it's happening all around us. Um, he said that he um, brought judgment in one hour. So let's look now. Let's go back. We're not because um, we we live in a, an age when we're um, we could be in fear of the things that are happening because of the leaders that perhaps are uh, uh, leading us astray. So Psalm. Let's go back to Psalm 49. Okay. Let's see what it says from 7 to 10. No man can by any, man, by any means redeem his brother or give to God a ransom for him. Here's the crux of the whole issue. You can buy everything in the world. You can even buy human souls. You can buy human 
humans' bodies. And yet, there is no one who has enough money to pay for a person's soul. So what does, and, and he says, and he gives some examples here. He says, no man can by any means redeem his brother or give to God a ransom for him. Have you heard people say that they would, they would give everything they had to save a child or to save someone who is dying? They would, they would give anything just to have that person. He says, you can't boast in your riches no matter what you have. No man can by any means redeem his brother or give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of his soul is costly and he should cease trying forever that he should live on eternally, that he should not undergo decay. No matter how much money you have, no much, how much treasure, power, control, no one can save a person's life. No one can save them from death. Death comes to everyone. Um, all classes of people die, and they, as they all perish, and others get the fruits of their labor. As it says in Ecclesiastes, all is vanity striving after wind. Well, let's look at 11 through 14. Their inner thought is that their houses are forever and their dwelling places to all generations. They've called their lands after their own names, but the man in his pomp will not endure. He's like the beasts that perish. It's pretty clear right there. We've seen it, people putting their name on everything, naming um, uh, all sorts of things after themselves. Uh, things, uh, they, people accumulating homes and businesses and, and lands and, and wealth of every sort, whether by uh, honest means or by dishonest gain. Um, but he says, no matter how, they, how they're treated here and on earth in their pomp and their circumstance, there is only one end for every man. And uh, it's that of the beasts, just like the beast. He's no different than a beast when he goes to the grave. Now remember, this is the Old Testament, thousand years before Christ. Um, we know now that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And we know also, but, um, and that those who do not know Christ go to Sheol to be raised up at the last day to the great white throne judgment. Um, we, of course, believers go to the Bema seat where we are rewarded for, um, um, we probably, <laughs> I, I think every one of us would say, well, I don't deserve anything. And of course, we'll throw our crowns at his feet Everybody will say, well, good, uh, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You had no idea whose life you touched on that one day. Remember that one day you touched that person's life and they touched somebody else's and thousands were saved because of something that happened. You lived a whole life for that one minute and this, God's whole plan was, was completed. Um, I guess I'm throwing out something kind of... Uh, you realize that you know God's plan is complete. It's like a big machine. And you know he can put a stop to a machine with one tiny gear out of place without 
God has a plan for each one of us. No, how, no matter how small and insignificant we might think we are or the influence that we think we've had, we don't have to long to be somebody famous or wealthy or in some important position because God has his purpose for every one of us. And after all, we can't all be Billy Grahams. What about that person you sit down next to on the bus? or that person you run into in the grocery store. They need to be saved. There are many examples of that. Well, praise the Lord, anyway, for that. Um, <clears throat> we're gonna wrap it up pretty quick here. I have six, five minutes. They think their dynasties will rule for many generations. This is something else about them in, in um, 11 through 14. Um, this is... Um, this is the way of the 13. This is the way of those who are foolish and of those after them who approve their words. As sheep, they are appointed for Sheol and death shall be their shepherd. It's, um, huh? Yeah, there's no hope. There's no hope. This is a way of those who are foolish and those, who, and those after them who approve their words. What is that talking about? We're talking about all the groupies. The guy's like a rock star and everybody says, wow, isn't he great? You know, and isn't he awesome? And, and, and he, they say, and they just talk about the groupie and those after them who approve their words of the people who follow after in, in generations afterward, who look back and say, wow, wow, that was a great thing. Remember, he's dead. He's dead like we're all dead. That greatness, that influence, that pomp, it's gone. Um, so he's not only saying we shouldn't be afraid of him, but there are foolish people who look to others as if they're some great thing when they should be looking to God. Okay. Um, let's look at 15, at 15. It's interesting here because this is the, this is the, uh, this is the antithesis of everything that we've heard so far. And that is that there's hope. And um, the, the fact is the assurance of eternal life for those who trust in God's promise refutes the certainty of the doom that is bestowed on these other people. And I'm going to end it with one verse that we can, it's Romans 8, 38 through 39, okay? I, um, I have it memorized, but I'll bet I'll miss part of it. So I'm just going to read it real quick. And then we're going to call it quits because um, it's important that... Um, that you read the rest of it yourself and ponder it and, and, and memorize it, okay? He says, I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Do not fear those who can kill the body. We've been going through the book of Revelation, and we're in the part now where um, so many martyrs have died. And he, the God, God says, here is the perseverance of the saints. They didn't take the mark of the beast, even though death was their, was their due if they, didn't, if they didn't take the mark of the beast. And um, that we're living in these days. These days are crazy. For many of you, you don't know half of what's really going on. There are others who maybe are following alternative sources of information, and you realize we're at war. There's a war going on between good and evil for this planet, and it's never been so obvious as now. And um, we may have to stand up and against that. But remember, I'm convinced that there's nothing, there's nothing, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the encouragement you give us and the warnings that you give us. How do we live wisely? Well, we, we live by giving heed to your word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Lord, help us in our daily walk to always look to you for answers and not to the world and the deception of riches and power and pompous glory. In Christ's name, amen.